Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and operations thought leaders from across the legal ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. Today's episode is in collaboration with Athenian, a leading entity and subsidiary management software provider. In this conversation, I'm joined by Carl Morrison, Director of Legal Ops at the Cosmo Las Vegas, Tom Stevenson, Director of Legal Ops at Credit Karma, and Kyle Marks, Director of Customer Success at Athenian. We discuss all things corporate legal entity management, including how the legal ops function can use entity management software to connect info across your tech stack. And now, the Athenian-sponsored Clock Talk episode, Legal Entity Management, how legal ops can leverage data to make the business move faster. Let's get into this today. So I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Kyle Marks, Director Customer Success Athenian, Tom Stevenson, my friend, legal operator, legal ops at Credit Karma, Carl, legal ops, the Cosmo Las Vegas. Also now, the MGM Las Vegas. Is that accurate? We're still the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. We are part of the brand and portfolio of MGM. Since Carl, you and I last spoke, you've been through a merger and acquisition. One of the one of the most fun times, and I say fun in air quotes, that one can experience in corporate life. I will tell you that it has been challenging and rewarding in the same vein. This whole year of going through due diligence through antitrust investigation, and then the actual true merger process. Yep. I wouldn't trade it as challenging as it has been. You wouldn't trade it. You wouldn't trade the experience, you mean? Nope. Never in a million years. Nope. Everyone should go through an M&A. Everyone should go through an M&A. Everyone should go through all their firsts in corporate business settings. You earn your stripes. It forces you to kind of adapt to... I've talked about adapting to the needs of the business without opinion or emotion. Like you just have to go with it. You can either accept the change or you can resist the change. And resistance is to use a quote from Star Trek. Resistance is futile. It's futile. I knew that one was coming. You have to roll with it. You have to roll the punches. It's a great exercise. On this episode of Resistance is Futile, we're going to get into innovating in the legal ecosystem, something the four of us know all too well. Let me talk to you, Kyle. Kyle, you're in customer success at Athenian. Can you tell us what Athenian is before we unpack resistance being futile, M&A, earning your stripes, and innovation? No, for sure. So really what Athenian is, the platform that allows our users and our customers to start leveraging that key data from entities to complete various tasks. So we're talking about things like reporting, creating documentation, creating charts, all these types of things, keeping up with due dates or assisting in M&A stuff, just like Carl was talking about just now. At the same time, integrating with a lot of great other solutions to to kind of create a good end-to-end experience for our customers at the same time. So at the end of the day, really what the solution's doing is it's kind of leveraging us to get to a place that our customers have more productivity. They're spending less time on administrative tasks. They have information at their fingertips. And that in turn gets us to a point where they can spend more time either supporting their internal teams like Carl and 
Tom here, we can start taking some of their administrative duties away. They can start working on some bigger picture items to go for it. And then also just on the, their own customers too in, in the other lens as well. So just really trying to save that time at the end of the day. That's really the common theme of all legal transformational work, digital transformation, innovating, using automation. It's how do we change the work? Our glorious paralegals, contract admins, contract administrators are doing with the sweat off their back. Exactly. How do we change their value chain of work so we automate some of that beneath their fingertips and they can look away and now focus on other things, other problems to solve, other data to connect into the work of it all. I love this theme. In your pitch there, you kind of, you're not pitching. It's like our elevator pitch. Like, hi, I'm Jen McCarron and I'm hosting this podcast. Yes. I like Cheesecake Factory and I don't look at screens at night, like elevator pitch. <laughs> you kind of whizzed right by entities. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to entities. We're talking about corporate legal entity management. And I think it's an area that's super sexy, but I don't think legal ops people are jazzed enough about getting their corporate legal entity management automation on. And then let me go over to you, Tom, because you just made a wonderful stank face at me. (laughs) Do you not think corporate legal entity management is sexy? And by sexy, I mean... Not literally everyone, like back out of the garage, legal people. (laughs) I mean, figuratively, is it a place for data accelerating decision-making, accelerating contracting, which is the number one thing we're all talking about so much in legal ops. Tom, where are you holding on zero to 10? How sexy is corporate legal entity management? Your face looked like a two. I will tell you before the call out, it was absolutely a two, but it's slowly going into lingerie eight mode and just getting <laughs> into it. Because okay. I will say, while caught off guard, historically, we look at entity management as a very siloed corporate entity function and role by a legal professional end to end. We get the law firms, we get the in-house, sometimes legal tech e-discovery vendor platforms when they're doing M&A deal desk type situations. And so I think it is not generally in the take me out to dinner and then see where it goes. But I think that there's a real need and a real void that is filled by having a robust entity management system that does look past just how do I keep track of all of the entities we have? Let's look at annual filing reports. Let's look at workflow automation. Let's look at using the tech stack and playing an integral role in legal operations from a corporate standpoint. Using the tech stack. So sexy. That was a pitch on pitches (laughs) for using your tech stack. So not just thinking length vertically. We shouldn't think of corporate legal entity management as this one-off contained box over there that you put in and those paralegals are good and corporate finance legal is good and M&A legal is good. That's a starting point. So you get the data of the world of businesses entities, but how do you now take that over into your tech stack? What do we mean by tech stack? I mean, I will say that for me, tech stack is the end-to-end technology solutions that allow you to automate, to make it efficient, to improve the processes so that individuals are using their skill sets in the most effective and efficient way possible. So tech stack is more than just going out and purchasing one software or platform. It is what connects to everything else 
How do we tell a story from it? How do we drive data? How do we drive business decisions? And how do we really make that shift? And I think we are seeing the in-house industry shift saying, hey, you have to take on more set business approaches to how you work, to how you operate. And the day may be great and the day may not be great, but you still have to perform and you have to be leaner. And I think having a tech stack allows you to do that. I've called it a tech portfolio. And I used to draw tech architecture or portfolio maps in slides for leaders and people in legal to understand. And it almost started to look like stars in the sky, like a constellation of technologies in our legal portfolio. If you're lucky, some talk and integrate and connect. But so much of our work, they're not integrated and connecting. And we do that work or we work with IT or an engineer to do that work. Is that what you're getting at, Tom? Like same concept of the portfolio of tech applications, data applications inside a legal and compliance department. You're hitting the nail on the head, but it goes much further. I think that it is encompassing of a lot of what do we have and where do we need to go. And I think one thing that Carl and I have talked about, especially as I was trying to ask some questions early in our years as paralegals working on opposite sides of the country was and the law firm scene as we're doing a chapter 11 M&A deal in my corporate finance world. What does entity management look like that takes you out of Excel spreadsheets and takes you into actually tracking when not only the annual renewal is due, but more importantly, like what regulatory compliance and audits and licenses and regulatory and all of the in-house. So tech stack to me is that same process of you don't just have an .exe file. You actually have something that drives a business process and hopefully all of those applications and APIs and technologies and the stack we talk about talk to each other so that it's all doing the work together regardless of what silo it falls under. Did you just drop a Windows executable file? Only on Windows 95. Win 95. (laughs) Anyone on Windows right now? Show of hands. Who's on a Windows machine doing their legal transformational work? You are, Carl. Tom, you're on a Mac. Kyle, you're on a Mac? I'm on a Mac, yes. You're on a Mac. So that means Athenian's good on a Mac. It is. It's just good in your browser. Easy. It's good in browser. It's optimized for browser and Web3. Of course. I just want to do this quick aside because I don't think we talk about enough the Windows versus Mac of it all as a legal ops person and supporting a legal function. And I know Carl and Tom have been in law firms which they must have been mostly Windows at that time because Windows was the market, is the market, 90%, whatever these crazy numbers are. And now we're on Macs. Carl, are you on a Mac because that's where your legal department is holding and that's where is your ecosystem, Microsoft? Do you love Windows? Personally, I am a 110% Mac user. Every device I own is a Apple product. It is a Microsoft-based universe. And in the gaming and hospitality industry, as you can imagine, the marketing side, they do use. They are a Mac-based business unit because they can, and a lot of their applications and systems speak well in Apple. Fortunately, a lot of the gaming systems and such work best in a Windows-based operating system. So just by default, do we operate in an office environment? So having come from the law firm world for so many years and being based in that, it's fine. 
coming into the in-house corporate to work in that area. It's not my favorite. I'm not a huge proponent of it. It's a world I'm seeing change for sure. From when I first started my career, my legal ops career, I used to choose to get a Windows machine because if that's where my lawyers were working, I was like, I have to understand them the best. If I'm stepping up to their desk and going, here's how you do A, B, C, D, E, F, I better know that and live that workflow with them. But it's good to see just as an aside of tech and automation and tech stacking. And we have to pick solutions, at least in the departments I've been in the last two years, we have to pick software solutions that can operate well in both operating systems and that have, I don't know, feature parity. I mean, look, if it's all web-based, great, but not everything is all web-based all the time, front end or back end. So it's another dimension that I don't know if I've ever heard talked about you heard it here first on Clock Talk. <laughs> Divide the world, Windows and Mac. Athenian, probably with the age of... So Athenian, you were founded in 2016. So I bet you were born on a Mac. Yeah, I started on a Mac, but mostly in the browser because we found there's people using everything and anything, right? So taking it to something that works in both areas is super key to that too, because you never know. But being more kind of agile in that nature really does help us out. Amazing. Back to a question that popped into my mind from something Tom said. Tom, you lit up a bit when talking about audit trail and audit. And I mean, show of hands, does audit excite you as legal ops professionals as much as it excites me? I'm twisted. I'm dark and twisted. So yes, I love the audit aspect of it. Nothing gets me going more than an audit trail capability inside. And show of hands too, how many times have you showed up at your new legal ops and tech job? You finally meet the audit team. You show them your vision and what you're doing and audit. Usually over in a finance or compliance function looks at you and goes, I love you. Uh, That's me. That's you. I have no love in this and I have no love here. You have no audit love? Audit doesn't worship you? No. Why? Organizations I've been in before are emerging and are looking to beef up their audit program where Carl, over the you know decades that he's been doing this in the X number of years at Cosmo, really built an entire compliance and corporate regulatory uh, department from the ground up. We got a compliance regulatory nerd yes. amongst us as well. So that makes sense with the audit piece. And then I imagine, Carl, you're in an environment in a casino ops function where audit is a big deal. Right. The best way to think about the casino industry is it's like a bank. So while we had gaming regulatory issues that we have to comply with, we also have to look at the federal side as well on the regulations. That we have to. So yeah, that's why I kind of geek out on it and where there's two departments that are my best friends, IT and I, that's a marriage. And then I am married to also internal audit because any of my processes, anything I do from a legal standpoint, a compliance standpoint, I'm engaging them first and foremost. When you said going with meeting them and saying, hey, I've got, we're going to do this and here's my vision. And they go, I love you. That's exactly it. They love me because it's simple. When they have to come to me, it's like, oh, well, okay. I know I'm not going to have a bunch of heartache and issues with Carl and Lee. Yeah. So I get all excited. I love it. And so you've had just like mature functions 
partnering with you where you've been working recently, you show them the single source of truth over a contract set or an entity management set with an audit trail built into those tools natively off the shelf. And they look at you and go, let's get married. (laughs) Well, absolutely. I mean, I have been dressed and blessed, if I will, and say that I have come into corporations that have already had a really strong privacy, an audit, a GRC tool. I've been in healthcare, virtual healthcare and fintech. And so I think those are paramount to the industries that I've been in. But I will say that sometimes when you go down a heavily regulatory and compliance audit focused, sometimes you lose touch of the other side of it, which is corporate, which is why I think it's really important to be able to have this kind of end-to-end tech solution or stack that helps you with connecting the dots of while we may do something in corporate, it ties to audit and back and forth. Like Carl said, you want to be a friend and a change champion in the departments you know that you're going to have the biggest buy-in and have the most effectuate change. A hundred percent. I'm getting almost inappropriately excited about just audit trails right now. And just for people who are maybe newer to legal ops or Kyle, considering corporate legal entity management tool and why the audit team cares, I really learned this in companies past where we put deals, desk, contract, approvals, workflows around the whole thing, the whole end to end. And what I saw in, I'll use this CMS, contract management solution, as an example. It was Spring CM at the time. It's now DocuSign. They have an audit trail capability built in off the shelf to the solution. What that means is as an administrator, which we all would be in a contract solution, you click audit area and you go into that part of the tool, pull any document and you see a database transcript of every move, breath, life, death, revived, edit, change, who looked at it? Did you even breathe on this contract? Did you even think about this contract trail? Was it opened by whom with what access? And if that's needed for SOX compliance purposes, or there was some sort of infraction or something, an investigation, or we needed to look into something, you just hit print. You just hit print. Exactly. You hit print. Kyle, is that the same concept and sort of layout in an Athenian corporate legal entity management tool? Definitely. But rather than just the contract, we're looking at a full entity. Like you're talking about so many different aspects of so many pieces of data inside of an entity. So knowing what's happened in there, who's done it and stuff like that is, is so critical. And, and having all of our kind of all of that structured in there, you can see it and so many different teams and people need this information at different times and need to manage it and understand it, that having that at your fingertips is this critical, as you mentioned before. It's just so nice to be able to yank that out whenever you need it. Yeah. And I know for us, it's really important for in the fintech you know, industry for us to have a really robust audit trail, especially we can talk about everything from broken processes to data breaches to what's going on with internal fraud or our information as it's being reported out to corporate entities or anything that would regard our brand or our legal protection. So I think there's a really important underlying theme here of it's scratching just past the surface level, kind of like the tech stack of you want to look past just what may suit a need or a task and really look at an end-to-end comprehensive solution. And I think that's kind of why it's so important to have this entity management, especially because audit really is such a huge component of it. Yep. It's so important. And, you know, we're talking a lot about the management solutions of entities, of contracts and how they relate. I mean, contracts need an entity. 
or two entities or sometimes three, depending on a corporate structure and its tax structure and forms a corporate structure and why it's so important to have source of truth systems around data in a legal department. The more you do that, the more you can connect, automate and move it around. Pop quiz here. What is the most legal entities in a business you've all been in in the past where maybe you've put one of these solutions around or died in the spreadsheet manual management of? I think for me, look, I want to say when I was back at Cisco, I know there were at least 400 in the corporate structure. But get this, my early career, my first acquisition was a dot-com into SBC Global into what became ATT. If I had a podcast assistant, which I do on my roadmap, future Jen will go, Jamie, look up ATT's corporate legal entity management account. I mean, they must have at least 500 entities, maybe a thousand. I digress. What's the most complex or most that you've all been in? I feel inferior to oh, you. I'm just, I'm just curious because... The more something scales, the more we need the management system of. So where are we holding here? 25 for me, about 25. Okay. That's a lot of ground to cover if you're corporate paralegaling that. Yeah. I mean, you think about just that size, 25. For those that are listening, you're probably going, well, I'm like Jen, I'm done dealt with 400 and that seems really small. But those that may be new to doing this and dealing with the entity management, 25 may seem like a whole stinking lot, especially on the structure. How is the entity structure? Is it a straight up down or is it branching like Ursula in The Little Mermaid? Who knows? I mean, how it's structured and how it's formed and how much percentage is owned by which company. And yeah, without an entity management, you can get what? Deer in the headlights kind of look. And a lot of manual work under there. That's ripe for automation. Correct. I wish I had my corporate paralegal on with us today because I'm almost trying to channel her sarcasm. Like, what is the threshold that a paralegal could manage before they become a poor, unfortunate (laughs) soul? Doesn't take very much for that. So, I mean, is 25 a limit? Can they manage 100 manually? I personally have worked on a chapter 11 a case that the main company had almost 40 separate sub companies, entities, LLCs. And so that is 40 different petitions, 40 different statement of financial affairs, 40 different confirmation plans. Oh, yeah. When Carl talked about the key paralegal word that I've heard here was, percentage of ownership of a company. And when you are talking about officers and directors and liabilities and the difference between corporate responsibility and personal responsibility and financial regulation, that just, that boils my blood. But but think about this, the number of entities, if those paralegals that are listening to this show that are sitting there going, I'm wanting to transition or I just transitioned to in-house corporate as a paralegal, I used to be a trial paralegal. If you managed a class action lawsuit with 400 plaintiffs, I'm going to tell you right now, you can handle 25 entities. And it's burdensome. I love the numbers equation there. Where it connects to legal operations is that we are required and we are tasked with managing our legal department's corporate structures, our auditing, having the operations day to day within the various cookie jars that legal operations really dives into. And so, It's about having that effective 
collaboration and communication and making sure that we're bringing in the stakeholders and the management and the legal counsel to be part of these shared systems and processes. And I think that's what's important about having this be really a direct conversation to people in the industry, whether you're on the law firm side, whether you're on the in-house side or on the legal tech side. I think entity management really does have a broader scope and a broader reach than we kind of think narrow-mindedly of. Your skills and your talent plus tech can make you successful. hundred percent. I like, Tom, that you're tapping on where does this connect with legal ops? I want to go into that for a moment. Before we do, Kyle, be honest. It's anonymous here. It's a safe space. Nobody's listening. Is okay? It? okay. No one. What's the most entities you've ever seen? And look, your past companies or in customers or hypothetically, I'm trying to Google ATT's entity count and I'm in like a wiki subreddit. I'm lost. There's my business case for a podcast assistant in the future. But what's the most you've ever seen in a corporate structure? In a corporate structure, I don't think I've seen full four digits. I've seen high triple digits though, for sure. And yeah, with how people are structuring their entities these days, like you can see so many in there. People, companies are getting massive and they're doing so many different things and getting into new areas or acquiring businesses too, which have lots of entities. Like think about two companies that had 500 entities, like merging and coming into it too. It's massive, but I've seen that. I've also seen on the other side, we have law firm customers as well. And I've seen, I'm talking tens and twenties of thousands of entities under management in, in firms too. Think about REITs, real estate mm-hmm. investment trusts. It's where it's all about entities that where the business is formed. That's multiple too. WeWork's corporate structure mimicked that because they are a real estate company, yeah. not a tech company. Exactly. Good try though, you guys. <laughs> nice try. You gave us a great laugh in that S1. We passed it around the office. And- so now I'm just envisioning and dreaming a Subway getting bought by a McDonald's and figuring out how many yeah. entities get lumped together from that merger, which would never happen. But in hypothetical terms, it's like, that's a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of errors that are about to happen. It's a lot of poor, unfortunate soul. <laughs> yeah. If you're out there, corporate paralegals who do entity management, if you want to come on our podcast in the future, hit us up. We want to hear from you. And where is the tipping point? Let's tap back to what, Tom, you were getting at. Where does this play into or touch in with a legal ops team and tech stack? Here's my hypothesis. At least me, this legal ops person, I've cut my teeth in contract and knowledge management. I've told you guys this. Litigation? Nah. I've avoided that somewhat just by nature of where I was. And that was built up and in like a keypadded lab that I wasn't allowed to go in at Cisco's offices. So I was like, cool, I'll just sit over here and look at the contract stuff. In years and years and high volumes of contracts, the most frequently asked question in complex corporate structures is like, on a contract is, what's my legal entity in drafting or in generating this contract? That's what I've seen those teams get slammed with that repeat question. Imagine getting that pinged to you 150 times a day or whatever your contract volume is. Imagine. Has anyone lived that hell? No. No. You guys are making the space. Because I've had a really good corporate entity system. I love this. You guys are giving me stank face. Like, no. No. Girl, no. Because I automated this first thing out the gate. Well, 
guess what? I didn't. And sometimes I walk into these companies that are more startup-y and still on spreadsheets and sheets and things. So that was, you know, when I walked into Spotify, there was no corporate legal entity management solution. Maybe they have that now, but there was none. So I held their hands in a spreadsheet, but they weren't a big entity shop. So I didn't prioritize that. And get acquired. Then you'll be reprioritizing. Or you have to have a really good story here about Cosmo and all that you have done with the corporate entity management here. I will say this and no fault to you, Jen, no judgment, judgment-free zone. But for those that are listening, you really have to make that maybe not your number one priority if you're going into, especially a startup, and there's not 500 entities that you're having to manage. You're only got maybe 10. Start managing it because you never know what's going to happen in a year from now that all of a sudden you've got a company that's looking at you and going, we're going to swallow you up. And now there's 500 entities that, oh, by the way, we still want you to manage. Crap, I didn't even manage the first 25. Now you're adding 400 to it. You don't do it up front. At least try to do, manage it as quick as you can up front. You're going to find yourself behind the eight ball before you know. And I think what's really important is if you know that you are a legal ops superstar in an up and coming startup, and there is a chance within the next five years that your company will be IPO'd, then you should get an entity management solution immediately. Because think about, let's talk about the crystal ball five years down the road. What pain points are you going to run into is, I don't know what my entities are. I wish that I knew who my corporate directors were. I wish I knew the percentage of ownership by each of them. I wish I knew which states I'm regulated in, which ones I'm compliant in. You start from the beginning. It's so much easier, as I'm sure the three of us can attest to, that when you have a nice little system running efficiently and just on cruise control, it's so good to go. Let me get that real quick for you. Anything else? Anything else? You guys are housing me. I was going to say, this is the biggest thing I've seen with our customers too is the ones that actually have adopted our solution, got it on and done exactly what Tom McCarver been talking about here is they now can accelerate their M&A acquisitions. It can happen faster. They're more ready. It's not that day that you get an email saying, hey, we got to fill this, this shared drive with everything we have. It's not a scramble and everyone's scared and concerned. It's exactly what we just mentioned. Oh, here we go. Right here. Yeah. And that was the same with us in the middle of going through the whole due diligence process that we knew our entity. We knew the status up. We knew where they were at. We knew who the shareholders were. We knew all of that. That aspect of that process was relatively, and I'm putting your quotes around it, easy because we managed it. It wasn't us trying to fumble through because I'm going to tell you right now, those that have never gone through an M&A, there's plenty of other insanity that goes on. Entity management is what I want to mess with in an M&A. That should be dealt with so that's the first thing. Good. Moving on. Next. Yeah. With the most corporate entity and whether you, like I said, you are on the law firm side or whether you're on the in-house side in legal operations, legal operations adjacent, whatever it may be, typically it happens. Side A comes to the table. Side B comes to the table. The LOI comes out and you have less than 120 days. So the 120 days can be sent in purgatory and poor unfortunate soul lands and digging through the things that should have been done from day one. Or you can realize kind of, I think, what smart legal professionals do in in which something isn't done right and it's antiquated to a Microsoft Excel or WordPerfect document, and we probably should look at a solution to audit. If I can just say what I'm observing happening right now, Carl and Tom are in like a jam. They're <laughs> jamming 
on. They're going back and forth. They're throwing a note to each other. One's with the guitar and the other's going back on just like the depth of paralegal work that you both have covered is so broad. It's deep and it's broad. I'm back to like length, width and height again. Sorry, but it's so deep and broad. And I'm comparing now to my 10 minutes as a paralegal and how terrible I was. I was the worst paralegal. I was so bad when I started legal ops. I was also like touring in bands on the weekends. So cut me a break. Okay. I had two jobs. The corporate entity management process was managed by the lawyers at my first legal ops job, which was a tech startup. And they managed 90% of it and all the filings and all the paperwork. And they would just task me with the last mile on things. Most of the last mile was, hey, you with the funny hair. I mean, I was like in a band. My hair was, it was 2008. (laughs) Don't at me. It was very swoopy. And they'd say, go to the Brazilian embassy and get this corporate entity subsidiary document stamped by Brazil in New York City and then come back to me and then go to the consulate here and come back. Like They would send me on consulate runs. Does that sound in the realm of what we're talking about? Was I doing one little piece of legal entity management? There was a lot of prepping for acquisition to both of your points because the end goal of that startup, every startup has one of three end goals, IPO, acquisition, or death. And that startup, Tamber, from what I learned years later, it was sort of designed for acquisition. So I was in the tasks depths of what you're talking about. It was managed by lawyers. How inefficient. I failed them on spreadsheets. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head talking about... Hashtag thought leader. Thank you. Bye. Booyah. I mean, you talked about it without talking about entity management. You were running pieces of papers to go get stamped to input into a spreadsheet, to track, to manually update and hope that you could find some time on the side to remember to do it one day because Lord knows that everyone just has tons of free times as a legal professional, legal operations person or anything in between. So I think this really goes back to what you said. We see a lot of people in legal operations at nimble startup roles and they know going into it and maybe that's why they wanted to go into that role. They want a new change. They want to thrive in something different. They want to build it from the ground up. And so what they're doing is they're going to be tasked from day one, most likely, to be have a little toe in the entity management pool. And that may grow as the company grows and stuff like that. But I think it would be foolish to think that legal operations doesn't have a hand in entity and corporate management, regardless of whether there is a system in place or a process in place or a tool in place. Yeah, I'm sold. You sold me. I'm sold. And the way you both framed it, You're almost putting it in the low-hanging fruit camp. Yes. Just do this and check it off your list because it starts as a point solution. And then Kyle, what you're reflecting on more is, and then it goes and connects to others. And what I'm saying is the most common thing I see at different companies is I need to know what legal entity goes into this contract. Can you API connect that data into the contract solution or that doc generator? So that person, based on their corporate employee profile, could the tech go, now I'm designing solutions. I just went from like, I was the worst paralegal back to, and here's a way to integrate it all. Can it say, oh, this person's sitting in the US, their profile says they're US based. They're doing business on this contract type. There's logic. That means we're going to take inks 
signatories from the signatory list. I need to call the legal entity management solution and get the signatories. Please stand by. That's the first one that comes to mind. Does that resonate with you guys? Yeah. What's the next integration that comes to mind with legal entity management in terms of it across the tech stack? I mean, I think of legal entity management with M&A deals and deal desks. I think that they're one in the same. What will exchange with a deal desk or a deal room? Not deal room, sorry. Not M&A deal rooms. M&A deal rooms is one. Deal desks is another. Both totally separate in what they provide. One provides the corporate information, the governance, the board of directors, all of those filings and stuff. The other one is entity information. Maybe we have specific clauses we need because of FTC orders. Anything under the spectrum can be used with proper entity management information, even if it's just as simple as applying for a license to be able to sign a contract to host an event at a party. Yeah. We just said combo, actually four things. We just said deal desk, deal room and M&A work, contract management solution. In order to know where an employee is sitting, maybe a work day or an HR info system to make a call there. That's four. Where are you at, Carl? Finance, money, tracking the billing aspect of all these entities and how much we're spending in the filings and things of that nature is really important. I geek out. That's another thing that I get all excited about is... There he goes. Controlling the dollar. Make finance. <laughs> finance, the money. Absolutely. Especially for those legal operations people that manage multi-million dollar budgets that have seven companies or vertical budgets and need to be able to make sure that payments are put in your e-billing system and tracked appropriately from inception through AP. Would e-billing ever interact here or that's two steps away? I think anything that has a touch or a reach to the formation name or identity of your entity or corporation can be a direct parallel or within arm's length reach of entity management. Yeah, and I say it broadly when I say finance because it's the e-billing side, but it's also... E-billing and ERP solution. The, the entity management okay. side of the finance. Who signs the check? Which company does? We want to make sure that we're pulling from the right information. There could be a difference between missing an LLC and putting maybe a common dot in. So there you have a hypothesis of how any legal ops professional can take a checklist and go, what do I need to think about? Or where do I start? Or what's most important in this new company I started? Kyle, are we leaving any big ones, obvious ones out that you see in your work in customer success? No, I don't think so. I think that you've hit most of the main ones. I think the list just keeps growing and a different piece of it is more valuable to each person. And just to know that critical entity data is, it, it is technically critical, like it's used for so many things. Doc gen. What about doc gen? Exactly. Like separate doc gen or workflow tools that are doing like an NDA. Documents. Yeah. For anything, for your M&A, for your financing, for whatever it might be. It all just kind of weaves together. But if you're using this data constantly for things, this is what we're in the business of doing, making sure that we can help out with that and integrate into anything that we can. I, would agree. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I've had an unbelievable time talking about entity management today. It has been a true pleasure. There it is. Trying to round us out with some puns. <laughs> All of this is about money saving. It's scaling your businesses. It's saving time. That's what we do automation to change the value chain of the work. So little paralegal Jen doesn't have to run around Manhattan anymore. <laughs> that she can just hit print on what is needed 
and then give that transparency of all this data out to other tools, tech stacks, people, cross-functional partners. So we do business faster, people. Doing business faster, that is the legal ops and tech ethos, I think, that we all share. And this has been really fun talking to you all about this on Clock Talk today. Thank you for joining us, Athenian, Kyle, Carl, Tom, my friends. Let's do this again sometime soon. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. Thank you to Carl, Tom, and Kyle for sharing their experience and insight on entity management. And thank you to Athenian for their sponsorship and development of this episode. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Until next time.